Want to make your home smell festive but don't want to shell out big money for holiday candles? Fill a pot on your stove with water and mulling spices. Bring it to a boil and simmer until your house smells nice. We have tons of holiday hacks on today's episode and also tons of last-minute gift ideas. First, we do our annual Most Useful Podcast Ever tradition of calling in the whole staff and asking them what they're buying or requesting for Christmas. After that, Peter Martin provides some tips for pretending you actually like a super ugly gift from, say, a beloved family member. Also on this episode, Matt Allen helps you get started in cross-country skiing, and an editor from the Good Housekeeping Institute stops by to settle the age-old can-you-use-soap-on-a-cast-iron-pan question once and for all. Bust out the eggnog and start rapping, y'all. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler, and the most useful podcast ever is here to help you have a very merry holiday. So one of the biggest dilemmas in cooking, I mean, there's a lot of dilemmas in cooking, but I feel like one of the biggest dilemmas in cooking is the cast iron pan thing. How do you clean it? People are really particular about it. And for this, we have Carolyn Forte, who is the Appliance and Cleaning Product Director at the Good Housekeeping Institute. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you. It's nice to be here. And we should say here that Good Housekeeping Institute is so cool. It's in our building. They test all sorts of things all the time. They have actual real scientists So we ask you guys questions all the time. (laughs) (laughs) We're happy to help. It's a very cool resource. It's what we do. We love it. And Kevin's here as well because Kevin likes cast iron. I love cast iron. (laughs) I don't know why. I I don't know why everybody doesn't have it. It works really well and it's not very expensive. Right. I never cooked a steak well until, like, not well done, but, like, decently until I got a cast iron pan. Until you use cast iron. It's amazing what it can do. And I think people are a little bit afraid of it. I think it's a difficult thing to take care of and probably a little bit hesitant to try it. But once you do, you love it quickly. So my first question for you is, what can go wrong with a cast iron pan? Like, what are people really afraid of? I think people are worried about taking care of it. The whole idea that you have to do something other than just wash it or what's the right way to wash it. You know, the fact of the seasoning. It seems like, oh, I don't know. It's a little complicated. <laughs> you know, <laughs> any extra steps, I think, make people a little bit afraid of it. So right. that's probably the biggest issue. Okay. So what is the standard established way to do it? Like, what do you think? First and foremost, there's lots of debate on whether you should wash it or should you not wash it. Should you use soap? Should you not use soap? But we are of the opinion at Good Housekeeping that it needs to be cleaned. So we recommend that you wash your cast iron with soap. Oh, wow. Oh, already. That's bold. Already <laughs> been controversial. If you buy a new cast iron pan, the first thing that you want to do is when you take it out of the box is just give it a quick washing. Make it clean like you would with any pan with soap and water, regular dish soap, and then you want to season it, unless it's one of those that come pre-seasoned. If it comes pre-seasoned, then you don't have to worry about it. And I think the newer innovations in this whole category have helped ease some of the fears that people have had about cast iron from years ago. So Mm -hmm. we're seeing cast iron now that is pre-seasoned, and we're seeing cast iron that's actually even going to be able to go into the dishwasher, which traditionally you couldn't do. That's crazy. Companies are really hearing what the consumers' fears were and responding. But back to the regular cast iron pan. So you wash it, and then the first thing that you want to do is season it. So once you wash it, let it dry for a couple of minutes. Coat it with a light coating of vegetable oil, inside and out, handle and everything. Put it upside down in a 350-degree oven for an hour. Okay. And that will start its patina forming and give it a nice coating. You know, you might want to just put a baking sheet underneath if there's any excess oil that drips down so that catches that. But then let it sit in the oven. Turn off the oven after that time period. Let it sit and let it cool off. And then you're good to go. You've got your first seasoning done. What we recommend afterwards, then, of course, when you use your pan, 
and you want to clean it, we do recommend using dish soap. Okay. You do need to remove food particles. You know, you want it mm-hmm. seasoned and you want that patina, but you don't want food particles staying in there. Right. That's been a fear for me. Actually, I just got my first cast iron pan recently and I seasoned it kind of weird because I went camping. So I was like, oh no, I have to season this. What do I do? <laughs> So I covered it in oil and put it upside down on the grill rack, basically, up okay. high, and then left it and did it that way. And I read online that you can do that, and it seems to have worked. But, Good. you know, I also haven't really, like, washed it since. I've used it, and I, like, scrape it out, with, it this, out. with olive oil and salt. Okay. But I feel like it's dirty. And I'm yeah. like, I don't know if I've screwed this up. Like, what did I do? Now so. You can clean it. Okay. Okay, that's good to know. During the seasonings, I've always heard to use Crisco. Are there any oils that you definitely don't want to use? And is Crisco, am I ruining it? I don't think you're ruining it. I mean, we recommend vegetable oil. Any light oil should be good. Okay. We both keep asking, like, did I ruin it? It's not like, like, am I doing it right? It's like, did I ruin this whole thing totally? The good thing, I think, is that they're not that expensive. Like, if you did ruin it, it's not like you're ruining, like, a piece of $200 cookware. I honestly think you can ruin it. I was going to say, is there anything that you really can't come back from? Because I've even heard that if you, like, really neglect it or if it gets rust, you can always scrape the rust off and re-season it. Is there anything where it's like, once this happens, you just have to throw it out? I don't think so. I think they're durable. We don't recommend putting in the dishwasher and we don't recommend soaking it. Those will lead to rust. But if you do have a rusty pan, you can scrape off that rust. So let's just back up a little bit and we'll go to just cleaning after every use. Okay. We recommend, again, washing it in warm sudsy water. If you've got anything stuck on, to use a brush, not a metal brush, like a plastic brush or a nylon brush to scrape that off, give it a good cleaning. And then put it on top of the burner for a little bit once it's clean and dry about 30 seconds or so, heat it up a little bit so it does evaporate some of that moisture. And then just add another couple of drops of vegetable oil inside, not the whole thing anymore, Mm. after each use, just inside. Wipe off any excess. And once you store it, we suggest putting like a paper towel or a paper plate inside the pan, especially if you're going to stack some things on top of it, so that it will absorb any residue oil or moisture. Right, so you don't oily other pans. Yeah. So, I mean, when you think about how durable they are, they've lasted for a zillion years. I mean, people have them forever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is there one new brand that you guys are really excited about? We like The Lodge. We really do. We've featured it a lot. It's tested really well in our Good Housekeeping Institute tests. Our kitchen appliances lab works on that. With the innovations, you know, I think what it's done very successfully is expand the acceptance of cast iron among a bigger audience. So it's got more people using cast iron than before. I'm in favor of that. Yeah, me too. Cool. Well, thank you for coming by. My pleasure. It was great to be here. I'm sure we'll have you on again because we have lots of questions like this. (laughs) Excellent. Well, we're happy to help. In a recent issue of Popular Mechanics magazine, Matt Allen did a story on getting started in cross-country skiing, which I assume is because you actually are good at cross-country skiing. Is that correct? I am pretty good, yes. It's <laughs> you did it in college, right? Yeah, I raced in college. In Syracuse, where they have a lot of cross-country and snow they have to have a ski lot on. of snow. <laughs> a lot of snow. So for getting started in cross-country skiing, I tried it once. It was hard, like trying to not fall over and all that stuff. And I went to like a place where they outfitted you with everything, so mm-hmm. I didn't have to buy anything. If you're going to get started in this, what do you do first? So there's a few starting points that everybody should look for. First is you want to go to trails that are groomed. So that's where you see that double track that's sort of like pressed into the snow. Mm-hmm. That'll eliminate like 90% of your trouble as a beginner just because it makes sure your skis can only go forwards and backwards, not up to the size. You have to use significantly less 
muscle just to stay upright. That's crazy because I did that mm-hmm. on those and that was still hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's still not easy, but it's even harder without that helping you. If you're just gliding along, you know, it takes you around the turns. And... Mm-hmm. Why are cross-country skis so skinny? The wider they are, the more resistance there is and the slower they are. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are your other points that you have to beginners? Before you even look at skis, wear gear that assumes you're going to fall down a lot. So that means either waterproof or very fast wicking. So stuff that can dry fast. Just because, yeah, you're going to fall over. You're going to be in snowbanks. It's okay. Snow is soft. Don't worry about falling. You'll have a blast. But just prepare to get, like, get a little wet. Wool, polypropylene, technical wear, especially socks. So, yeah, be prepared to fall down in snow. Okay. But don't you want something that would be kind of like has a little ventilation to it? Yeah, yeah you're going to yeah, get sweaty, right? Right, yeah, it should breathe. If enough for breeze, it'll be fast drying. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. And then what else? Okay, so for the actual gear, I recommend starting off with skis that have fish scale. So first of all, you're just going to be doing the strides, sort of like you're, you know, exaggerated walking. Or like you're on a Nordic track. Yeah, or just like a really dynamic power walk. Okay. Like you're really, really walking there. And so you want skis that have sort of under sort of the foot area. They have what's called fish scales. So that's just these small ridges that when you step down on your ski, bite into the snow so you can kick forward. Oh. Uh, you know, racing skis will use like a sticky wax, but that's just like another can of worms you don't want to have to deal with when Uh you're starting out. And then when you get down into picking out a pair of skis, it shouldn't be determined by your height, but by how much you weigh. Because you want that area under your foot with the fish scales on it, you want it to collapse onto the snow when you step down on it. But then when you're not stepping on it, then you want it to be... Yes. You want it to be above the snow so you peacefully glide along. Oh. And are all cross-country skis the same length? No, there's a few lengths, and, you know, that does figure into, like, how tall you are. Okay. But the main thing is, you know, think of cross-country skis as the leaf spring, because they basically are. And so you Wait, want... a leaf spring? Yeah, a leaf spring. Like what does a... that mean? Oh, it's a piece of suspension you see it on the back of old pickup trucks. It's oh. just, so, you know, a bowed shape. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I imagine our listeners know more about that than I do. That's all right. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, okay. So, yeah, you just want your weight to match the resistance of, of the spring in the ski. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. One question I always had is, why isn't a Nordic track and or an elliptical trainer or anything that's supposed to mimic cross-country skiing as difficult as cross-country skiing? Because cross-country skiing, that's a workout. (laughs) It is. Why aren't those things like that? Well, a couple of reasons. There's still, even with the track, a lot of work that just goes into keeping you off of the ground. Ah. So there's that. Also, Nordic tracks and ellipticals aren't super fun. Like when you get out in the woods, you know, you want to go faster. Like uh-huh. it's, it's, it's fun to go faster. So you work harder because yeah. it's more fun. And okay. there's real hills. Right. Yeah. Like I said, I tried this literally once. It was in Whistler mm-hmm. at a place where they had done the Olympics, whatever year that was. Mm-hmm. And they let you try out the biathlon, which mm. is tough because they even had like larger targets for non-biathlon proficient people such as myself. And you're shooting little BB guns and everything. But man, by the time you go around the track and then you lay down and you start trying to shoot and your heart's like pounding like you're, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's terrible. Yeah, I mean, growing up in Minnesota, I had a lot of friends that did that. It was a Scandinavian military exercises because half the year that's how they're getting around with their guns and they need to be able to, you know, shoot from snow. When I was learning about it, I was like, this seems totally insane. And then learning that it was Scandinavian military, you're like, oh. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Any other final tips before... People run out there trying to do this or stumble out there trying to do this. Well, one last thing on biathlon. I love pointing out that the current men's world champion in biathlon is American, Lowell Bailey. So we can all cheer for him at the 2018 Olympics. Okay. But moving on, sort of my (laughs) favorite technique tip to give because it's easy for anyone to do and requires minimal balance. Well, I guess it's, it's two parts. Excuse me. Okay. First is gear. It's about holding your pole and using the pole properly. Okay. So poles just have a strap on them. You want your hand to come up from the bottom of the strap and then grab the pole. Okay. And so 
the way you do that, then the sort of the, the strap rests sort of underneath, like the web between your thumb and your pointer finger. Okay. And so what you do is you punch your pole and you pull it back. But then what you could do is you can let go of the pole and actually get a few more inches of push. Oh. And yeah, and the the pole hand will just sort of like rest in the nook of your hand. And then as you just pull your arm forward, the pole it back it snaps your... right oh. back into your hand. So you see a lot of people out there that are new, just sort of like don't let go of the poles. And you get a much longer range of emotion by letting go of it. Still attached to, of course. Right. So yeah. Have you ever had one of those snap in the middle of a race? I've had the handle come off. How did that go? Uh, poorly. <laughs> poorly. But to be fair and probably karma, I have also snapped other people's poles. Oh. Just, you know, it's crowded racing. They plant a pole in front of your ski. You ski over it. It breaks. Man, I was saying, I didn't realize that cross-country skiing was such a it's dangerous uh, for mean your sport. Well, you know, <laughs> things happen in the woods. Well, when is the time that people should go out there and do this? As soon as there's snow on the ground. If you're like me, you have way too many sets of cross-country skis, and you've got one pair that's just called rock skis. And so that's for, like, when there's two inches of snow on the ground, you can hit some rocks and scrape up the bottom. But, you know, that's what they're used for. That's your crappy skis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, I would recommend if you don't have trails nearby and you do have some gear, go to golf courses. Maybe check with them beforehand, but always, always stay off the greens. They'll definitely kick you off. Yeah, they don't like that. But, yeah, fairways and whatnot, you should be fine. Mm -hmm. Cool. Great idea. Well, happy cross-country skiing, and Mm -hmm. hope our listeners try it out. With the holidays coming up, it is time for your favorite segment, Brad Facts. Brad Facts. Brad Facts. <laughs> and Eleanor's here again to tell us about Brad Facts. Our fact giver. It's the Hi. time of year for brats, man. Elf sure. on the shelf. Is there a Hanukkah one? A Hanukkah brat? Is there like a Hanukkah elf on the shelf? What's the elf on the shelf? <laughs> elf on the shelf, I guess, is, I've never done it, but I guess it's like a in the last 10 or 15 years, it's been this thing where some elf that's like watching the kid to make sure that he like or she is, yeah, it's like With a little- With an actual camera? No, it's- <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like a, like a nanny cam yeah. that you put in the kid's room like you're being picturing. a brat. But that's kind of the idea is like it's not a nanny cam. It's like an actual doll of an elf, but you move it every day, oh. I think, so that the, the kid's like, oh, my God, I it's moving around. It's watching head. me. So you're messing with your kid's head to make them behave. Yeah. It's not enough to say that Santa sees you when you're sleeping right. and when you're awake. Well, you it's not to... fair for Jewish people because then they have to watch. Well, <laughs> like Jewish, Santa at least takes care Jewish of Jewish people can have elves. Is yeah. that allowed? I don't think elves are, like, denominational. Aren't you half Jewish? I'm by marriage. We have to call Meryl. She'll be a special <laughs> surprise guest. So, brats. Brats, brats. are bad. What about brats? Let me tell you. Okay, so first of all, going way back, figuring out where it comes from, it is a 16th century slang term that means beggar's child. Uh-huh. So you're really weird. calling someone poor <laughs> and probably dirty. And oh, there was wow. a Celtic word... Brat with two T's. I don't know if you say it differently. Maybe it's like brat. That's how Trump would spell it. Brat. Yeah. <laughs> but it means cloak. So I don't really know how that plays in. But you could be calling someone a beggar's child and or just like and a, or a and cloak. And or a cloak. You've which is like worse cloak. than a coat. You know you're like? So. Yeah. You're like a weird coat. That's what you're like. Exactly. So I did a survey of my memory in the internet to find a Christmas song about a brat. The brattiest Christmas song I could find is called Nuttin' for Christmas. Oh, yeah. Have you heard of this? Yeah, it's a great song. It's a great song from 1955. And it's just a litany of, like, terrible things that this child has done and why they are getting him nuttin' Nothing for Christmas. This is N-U-T-T-I-N apostrophe, just to be clear. <laughs> so it's like he hits a kid with a baseball bat. He puts a frog in his sister's bed. He makes someone eat a bug. He puts a tack on a teacher's chair. He dances on his mother's plants just Wait. to, like, ruin them, I Cute guess. I don't know how you'd even do then. that, yeah. Puts ants in the sugar bowl. And then Ooh. the the upshot of the song is like it's too late for me to be good this year. Like maybe next year I'll get some presents, but like uh, oh well. Wow, what a bratty yeah. little kid! Very bratty. He's a real cloak, that kid. <laughs> and that's what Brad facts. 
So this is our special holiday gifts episode, and I don't know about you, Peter Martin, but I've gotten some bad gifts sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and you're always sitting there and you're like, I mean, thank you for the thought. I'm very glad you got me a gift. So assuming such a thing happens to you, you get $50 worth of McDonald's gift certificates in $5 increments. Not that that's ever happened to me <laughs> or whatever. I wouldn't mind that. It'd be great now. So... Peter Martin, you've talked to somebody about this. Years ago, for a story for another magazine a long time ago, I talked to two experts on how to fake being enthusiastic about the gift that you were given when it sucks. Oh, okay. One person told me how to fake it. The other person told me how to figure it out when someone is faking it in case you are just incredibly aggressive and want to get on that person right <laughs> you away. You want to give somebody a terrible <laughs> present and then watch them fake their happiness for your benefit and then yell at them for it. Here's why I know that's not <laughs> true. So maybe the more useful is the how to fake enthusiasm okay. for, for a bad gift. So I actually found her name in case she wants a little credit. Maybe this helps with tenure but it's elaine spungen okay however it's pronounced but when i talked to her she was at the university of illinois after talking to her i learned a few steps and everybody kind of knows the first one you find a little aspect of it that you think is nice or good i think part of it that she taught me was that the person who bought it for you probably thinks oh Peter's going to like this because he always does whatever. And so he's going to like, he sits and he writes. He loves so here's strawberries. Nice so he would yeah. like dried strawberries. That guy likes fruit. He would yeah. love a dried and fruit. And I did like McDonald's, I will say, of mine. So yeah. $50 for a kid. So you pick that. You thank them for that. You smile, obviously. I feel like that's step one. Smile. Okay. Everybody should smile. You thank them. This next part really helps more if you, in our family, you always kind of go around. Everybody does a gift. And in, you take in, turns. In turns. Yeah. And so if you're going to do it that way, if it continues on to the next person, you kind of hold the gift and keep looking at it and kind of smile. Ah, it's good fake because oh, that, that way the good. person's not like, oh, he just put it in the pile right away. He doesn't like he it. He doesn't like it. But if you're kind of checking it out, you might be a little excited. and You're still looking gift. at it like, yeah. oh, this Hot Wheels toy. I'm 45. Um, I love it. Then the secret. You wait a couple minutes, and then you get caught looking one more time. Like, you um, pick it back up. I would make a motion to pick it back up, look at it, and, like, put it back okay, down. Okay, here's a question, though. What if you got that weird uncle or somebody who gives weird gifts, and everyone else in the family knows that you don't like then it? Then you probably don't care. I think then it's a thank you and a hug, and, and you're then, done. Then you're but if it's your sister... And you want her to be happy yep. that she gave you something that made you happy, you at least pretend. Right. Right. Or like your boyfriend gives you clothes. That's always a tough one. Right. I've made that mistake. Oh, yeah. It's Men dumb. giving clothes. I should say my current boyfriend gave me a shirt last year that is one of my favorite shirts. It was a Christmas miracle. But now you're in trouble because once you succeed, then you think you're good at it. And maybe he's good maybe at it. He's good. That would like, be great. He, you know what he did is he talked to the salesperson and gave them my measurements and told them something else I had bought at the store. That's pretty good. Yeah. So, well I mean, done. that's right. I know. We should I was, have him on. We should you know, <laughs> like come in and be like, hey, uh, how'd you pull that off? How to buy clothes for women. Yeah, that's traditionally a, a difficult thing to do. So, okay, so, so assuming someone's doing this to you, you know, you bought your wife smuggly pants and she's doing this to you, how do you catch her? So, this was advice from Paul Ekman, who was a psychologist and a facial expression expert. I don't know who decrees that, but that's what he called himself. So, he mentioned the corners of your lips, your cheeks, and your eyes. Apparently, they all go up at the same moment. I have no idea how you do this without a slow motion <laughs> camera and really taking a lot of If you happen to be a face analyst. <laughs> then you're set. The other part was there's a thing between your upper eyelid and your eyebrow and it's called the eye cover fold. Whoa. So apparently when you really like something, that part of your face moves down a little. So between your upper eyelid and your lower eyebrow, so just that skin, the skin that, that you moves would like, down. if you're a woman, you would put like light eyeshadow up there, sure, highlighter, yeah, okay, and that goes down. I don't know how you would notice that either. These Wait, seem very tough. I feel like I want to like make you happy so I can see what your face does. Give me a gift, money. I <laughs> just give me money right now. <laughs> like I love it. It's great. All right, and then I think I added this. I don't know if this was his advice, but you just keep them talking. Because talk about it, the more eventually chance you're going to catch out. them Eventually they'll be like, yeah, yeah, I love the Barbie unicorn set. And I... then you jump up and you're like, I got you. I, got I know you it. You time. hate it. And also, if you want to avoid doing this, just give people money. 
I feel like we've done this before, but this is the staff holiday list. Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa list, whatever you want to call it. The gift giving list. The gift guide where we all kind of spend a lot of time looking at cool stuff online and trying to figure out what we want for Christmas or the holidays <laughs> and what we want to give other people. And I think we have good ideas. So there's a lot of us in here. We're going to find out. So we have Peter Martin. We have Matt Allen, who is kind of our products editor these days. So I'm Kinda. excited to see what you have. A lot of products. And then Kevin Dupsick and me. Who wants to go first? I have a lot. Can I go first? Peter Martin has a lot. Right. You can go first. One is very easy. I was at home and my parents for their Christmas tree put a little step light on the Christmas lights. So you just step on a button, your whole tree lights up. Oh, that's a good idea. $10. When do you gift that, though? Because you can't put it under the tree wrapped, right? This year for next year. Oh, okay, okay. Oh. Uh, so it's not a good gift. But <laughs> it's, it's a good... Oh, it could be a good, a good birthday gift. It's a good pre-Christmas, yeah. Okay. The other one, if someone's going to give me something... LG's selling OLED TVs for $1,600. Wow. Which would be an amazing gift. You've got a real obsession. Yeah, first of all, don't you already have a fancy TV? No, it's from 2008. So when it breaks, this is what I'll buy. But that's a good gift if you're rich to give to somebody. Okay, what else you got? The cool ones that are actually for Christmas. There's a thing called sled legs that you can buy on Huckberry. It's 50 bucks. They're like soccer shin guards, but you just run and jump and sled on them. I saw those. And then you can walk back up the hill and just jump back down. I want those right now. So those looked awesome. And $50, that's that's a reasonable amount to spend on someone. Also, that's a great name. Yeah. If you like the person more than that, if you like them $100 worth, (laughs) since we already hit the $1,500 worth of affection. I like the transactional nature of Peter Martin's friendships. It's called the Home Network's Decorative White 70 CFM Bluetooth Stereo Speaker Exhaust Bathroom Exhaust Fan. What? It is (laughs) a Bluetooth speaker built into the exhaust fan in your bathroom. So when you're in the shower, you can listen to radio, you can listen to music. It's just the thing that everybody needs in their bathroom anyway, but now it has a speaker in it. And it's powered, so you don't have to charge it. And it's Bluetooth, so you just hook it up to your phone. And this is $100, and you have to get it permanently installed into your house. Yeah, it's replacing your exhaust fan with something so much cooler. All right, Kevin, you're next. What do you got? Okay, I'll lead off with the thing I'll give someone else so it won't seem as selfish. I got this here in Instant Pot Ultra. It's $150. It's amazing. I think I'm going to get one for my brother because he just got a new apartment. It's like a housewarming thing. But basically, it's like you can use it as a normal pot to like cook or saute something in. But the big thing is that it's also a slow cooker, which is nice, and it's a pressure cooker. And it's great because you can cook stuff that would take all day, like chili, right when you get home from work. Because the pressure gets so much hotter, everything cooks faster and gets more tender. I think it's amazing. Right. And you can, like, set it with a timer or have it do, like, a delayed start. You can set it up before you leave for work. That's something I want to give this year. Okay. Two things I want. So I have an old car, and it just has, like, a CD player. And I got really excited because I discovered recently that... So instead of having, like, the headphone jack cable running through the inside of the car, which, like, if you're on a road trip, it sucks. I'd, like, pass that around. You can just connect with Bluetooth, and it's still, like, 20 bucks. Oh. This is, like, the oldest technology Wait, that's what ever is gotten this me thing excited. Called? Just an FM transmitter. I mean, there's a lot of different brands. So you plug it into the cigarette lighter in the car, and then you turn on your car radio to a station. You put the same station on the FM transmitter and connect your phone with Bluetooth, and then you can listen to whatever off of your phone through your car speakers. So cool. So Kevin wants this, guys. So if you're a listener, yeah. if you like oh, Kevin, hi. $20 worth, send him one. So the last thing is I learned to play guitar a couple years ago and then have not touched it in years and wanted to learn to play again. And Fender has a new app and it's subscription-based. So it's $20 a month, but I think it's on sale right now. So it might be $10 a month right now for Christmas. The thing with like learning stuff from going online or through an app is that you can probably go and find this stuff on YouTube. But the cool thing with Fender is that because it's Fender, they have all the really good songs because they have deals with all these different artists who play their guitars. So the production values are a lot better, but also just has all the best songs and it's organized really well. I got to try it recently and feel like it can get you kind of to the intermediate level. So I'm going to go next because I only have one. So mine is just what I'm going to get for my mom. It's not a new thing, but I think it's a cool reason that she wants it. We were talking recently and she said that she felt out of touch because they don't have Netflix, they don't have HBO, 
And she was like, I just feel like I get into conversations and everyone's talking about Game of Thrones and John Oliver and Stranger Things. And I have no idea how to watch those things. So I'm going to get her a Roku streaming stick and show her how to use it on the other TV that my stepdad is not watching Friends on. <laughs> so I'm going to get my parents a Roku streaming stick. That's $40. They also have like Roku streaming sticks plus for 60 And I think they have ones for like 80 as well that are for like 4K. And if you have crazy oh. TVs, they have different kinds. Matt Allen, what do you got? All right. I got three things I'm pretty excited about. I'll start with a question I get every year. I've been writing about beer for 10 years, so I call myself a beer expert. So people say, oh, should I get my friend, spouse, whoever, a beer of the month club? Most of them, you should not. There's really only one I've ever tried that has legitimately like good beer. Like We're awash in great craft beer. So one thing I'm always looking for is interesting, weird beers. And so the Rare Beer Club exclusively ships those. It's two large like wine bottle-sized beers per month. I think it's $50 with shipping. And they're not just rare. A lot of times they're just like one-off batches made for the club. We tried one the other day, like the sour with the pumpkin and blackberries in it. Oh, that was good. Yeah, that was really good. Oh, I should say Matt Allen puts out beers for us sometimes, (laughs) like his drunk cat. Yeah. (laughs) And so they work with a lot of the top craft brewers in the country and also Belgium for just like these really weird, fun, interesting beers that are barrel-aged, that are soured, that take a year to make or more. So that's like the one beer club I recommend, the rare beer club. Then I think multi-tools are always just really fun to have, play around with. And my favorite right now is the Leatherman Signal. This is more of an outdoorsman multi-tool. It's good if you're you know, into survival and prepping because it's got like a whistle. It's got a, like a rod for starting a fire. Oh, that's handy. Yeah. I mean, not if you have a lighter. But if you didn't have a lighter, it'd be very handy. If you want to start a fire, this has a spark. Yeah. And if you want to be found, it's got a whistle. But it also has you know, the classic pliers and knives, the bits and whatnot. If you're looking for more of just straight up tools, the Gerber Center Drive. We've had the magazine. We love that too. Much easier to screw things in. If you don't want the outdoorsy multi-tool, Gerber Center Drive is the actual, like, you know, the Roy Berenson multi-tool. Okay. Yeah. And my last one is just, like, total splurge gift that I would say it's if you like to bike to work, but you want, like, the Ferrari equivalent of commuter, this is it. It's called the Mosaic CT1. Mosaic is a handmade bike company out in Colorado, and they make titanium bikes. And so this is basically a race bike that's been designed for, like, just riding around town. And so, like, if you stand up and pedal on it, it just feels really, really fast. But at the same time, it's got, like, flat handlebars, a little wider tire, fenders for going over puddles. Kevin's looking like he wants it. Yeah. How much money does this thing cost? If you buy just the, I think, frame fork, and the fork is, like, a really nice high-end carbon fork— Frame fork and headset is $4,450. Complete bike is $7,700. But you do get to pick the pink. It's got, like, you know, high-performance wheels and everything on it. Like, every piece on it, for the most part, is just, like, the highest-performance options. The, the Mosaic CT1, if you want to have the Ferrari of commuter bikes. I'm not usually the person that's doing the testing on Testing Table, I feel like, but I tested something this time. Christmas special. I know, Christmas special, special, holiday special. I tested something. And that's because Alex George gave them to me. I was like complaining around the office about not having any good headphones for running. And I'd actually been running in my Marshalls headphones, <laughs> which is a terrible <laughs> idea. They're over the ear. They're over the ear, yeah. yeah. And like broken and taped headphones. They were broken and taped. I mean, it was like sheer embarrassment. I ran in those actually with a friend one time. And she was like, you're going to run in those? And I was like, oh. 
okay, and then I threw them out. How good of a friend that you were running with headphones? Don't you talk? Don't you run? Oh, with we a were doing so a, a we were doing a race, and I I needed them just in case. Oh, I mean, running run a race, running a race in Marshall's headphones is, it's is pretty lame. embarrassing. Also slowing you down. That's a lot of weight. So I had actually tried, and I will not name this pair in part because I can't remember the name, and also because I'm going to say bad things about them. But I did try a pair of headphones this summer. They're like little plastic, and they go around your neck. They've got a little cord like that, and they would fall out of my ears. A they were so quiet, which I guess is to make sure you can hear cars right. or that you don't get hearing damage. Or whatever, which they were really quiet. I could like barely hear them. And then on top of that, so when you have these running headphones that don't have a cord, they usually have you can plug it into the side of their little right little controls button, in the them. control yeah. button thing. And this one that I used this summer, it had these weird gold divots, and you were supposed to connect that to these gold prongs. It was the craziest charging system I've ever seen in my life. I actually could not figure out how to charge it. I have a master's degree. I could not figure out. <laughs> how to charge these headphones. I gave them to Alex. I was like, I don't know. Here, you take... The Alex is our tech editor, for those of you who are not regular listeners. And I was like, I can't use these. I don't understand. And so he told me to check out this pair. This pair is called Fitbit Flyers, and they are the first headphones from Fitbit, which you've probably heard of. And I actually was telling a friend about these the other day, and he was like... I didn't know Fitbit made anything other than Fitbits. Right. So I wonder who they partnered with to have actual good sounding, high quality earbuds. I don't know, but they sound good. The sound is good. It's deep. You can hear the bass. There's two different sound. What are they? Bass boost mode? Yeah, there's like two different sound modes. I've only used one because I haven't figured out how to <laughs> switch to the other one yet. But well, when I was looking <laughs> Maybe it up. Maybe pick the best one to start. When I was looking it up to talk about it on the podcast today, I saw that it had two sound modes and I was like, hey, I should be using that. But what I like about these is so when you turn them on, They've got a tiny little button on the right ear, and you put them in your ears, and you hit this little button, and it will come on, and it will say, like, hi, battery, and then it will say connected to one device, which my fear with headphones like this all the time, Bluetooth headphones, is that they're not going to be connected, and you're going to start playing, like, some really dumb music on the train. <laughs> it just plays out and loud. And it plays out loud, and everyone's <laughs> like, share, huh? You know, good for you, or whatever, you know, so it's like, all awesome. I want for Christmas is you? Like, cool. The battery's pretty helpful, too, because if you got on a seven-mile run, and your battery dies seven minutes in... Right. This, the silence. other thing, this thing has a six-hour battery life, and it will tell you, like, high battery, medium battery, or low battery. And if it's low battery, it'll say less than one hour remaining. So you know how much battery you have, which Run is nice faster. because, yeah. Also, when it gets down to an hour, it warns you. So that's pretty cool. And it, like, warns you auditorially. Audi- audio. How, how else could audibly. it? It's a set of headphones. I don't know. It could flash, and then you, like, <laughs> would you see it. Or... <laughs> In case you can't tell, I kind of like these things. but. <laughs> And I feel like I'm being honest about it because I have really not liked some headphones. They come with these ear tips so you can personalize them. You have small or large. And then they also come with either wings or fins that you can put on the sides of them. I really like those that don't just rely on sticking in your ear holes to stay tight that have the parts that sit inside whatever the larger part of your ear is. Yeah, the little swirlies. Yeah. There's a name for those. But those are probably wings or whatever that are on the thing. Yeah, Yeah, these are wings. They hold themselves in your ears always so much more comfortable. And it doesn't end up irritating the inside of my ear as much either. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like these. I am one of those people that I tend to just persevere with my circumstances as they are. And I'm like, this is fine. It'll be fine. Whatever. your your Marshall headphones. (laughs) Right. Like my Marshall headphones. I ran with just regular earbuds from Apple for probably a decade. And I was like, I'm not spending money on stupid headphones. Like, I don't care. And like, honestly, these make such a difference that they're so great. I even have been wearing them wrong because I let the little cord come, which, you know, obviously it doesn't plug in. But right. It's like a 16-inch 
cord. Right? Yeah, between the two of them. I had it hanging in front of my chest, and you can pull up this little dewy hickey thing <laughs> to make it like tighter. Right. And I thought that was just so that it wouldn't like bang against your chest. And I was running with it. It was fine. And then I realized that you put it behind your head. And so now I'm doing oh, that. So it's even better. Tightening thing is just for the to distance between it. your ears to set it on the. Oh. Yeah. See, they're really pretty nice. They look good. So. Yeah. How much are they? They're 130 dollars. That's actually not bad for good headphones. For good headphones, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm pro. I, I guess I have to ask myself: <laughs> Would I buy these? Yes. Yes. Yes, I would. That's our show, y'all. The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Brandcasters, Inc. at www.brandcastingu.com. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. While you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And if you want to read more about life hacks of all sorts, you should check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.